Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, seeing is believing, as they say. Seeing is believing may as well be the mantra of our time. Chalk it up to our incredulous age, our skeptical society that we find ourselves in, but it seems as though people are unwilling to believe anything unless they themselves have seen it. I suppose sometimes this comes in handy. However, I think it is ironic when you consider that, in the very first place, the whole reason that man finds itself in this sad predicament of sin, death, and damnation is precisely because we trusted what we saw with our own eyes. There in the Garden of Eden, Eve saw that the fruit was good, pleasing to the eyes, and profitable to make one wise, at least in the estimation of her own eyes. She trusted what she saw. And I can imagine Adam watching as his wife bit into that fruit, saw that it didn't strike her dead in that moment saw that the universe didn't come undone in a fell swoop, and thought to himself, seeing is believing. And so when she outstretched her hand with that bitten fruit to him, Adam saw nothing wrong with taking a bite for himself. Of course, again, irony of ironies, it is only then that their eyes are truly opened, only then that they truly see only then that they truly understand the warning that God had given them in the garden. It was because of sight. It was because of our desire to see something and because of our trust of our own sight and our own judgment that we find ourselves in this very place to begin with.
Seeing is believing, they say. And of course, this is always trotted out in our world as though if God would just show me a sign, then I would really believe he exists, then I would go to church, then I would truly believe what you Christians are always preaching about, but until I see such a sign, I'm not interested. And of course, again, the great irony, the one revealed to us in the scriptures this day, is that all too often, seeing is not believing. The people of Israel saw God part the Red Sea before their very eyes. They saw him drown hard-hearted Pharaoh's armies in the water. They saw the mighty works that he had done in Egypt to bring about their deliverance. And yet, when Moses goes up on Sinai for the first time to receive the word of the law, they trust what they see with their own eyes. Absence. Waiting. There is no God to fill the void, as it say, as they would say. And so they fashion one for themselves, a God whom they can see with their own eyes, a golden calf that is pleasing in their sight, one that truly commands the grandeur and majesty of the name of the Lord. At least in their eyes and in their minds, it does. And of course, this incurs God's wrath, precisely because he told them that he alone should be their God, precisely because in Egypt he was demonstrating to them the futility of carved idols and of gods made in the image of man and bulls and animals and creeping things. And yet, they esteemed this good. But we do not need even to go all the way back into the history of the Old Testament for this. For in the transfiguration of our Lord itself, we see that seeing is not always believing. For Peter, when he sees the glory of Jesus there revealed, when he sees Moses and Elijah, he does not remember the word that has come to him, the word that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinners and Gentiles and put to death and then rise again on the third day. No, Peter sees with his eyes a vision of glory, a vision of the glorious and triumphal Christ that he imagined Jesus should be. And he desires to capture this moment, to freeze it in time, to keep Jesus and Moses and Elijah here on this mountain in these tents which he has made, because in his eyes and in his mind, this seems good. Seeing is believing? Not at all. Not at all. How often in the scriptures have people seen and yet continued in their persistent hard-heartedness? How often in our own lives have we seen tangible manifestations of God's grace and yet all too quickly fallen back into the old pattern of sin and the lusts of the heart? If seeing were believing, then God would have just shown himself already. No, the fact of the matter is, seeing is knowing, but not believing.
And this is by design. This is how God has chosen to reveal himself. This is how God has chosen to be at work among us, not by what we see, but by what we hear. And no one proclaimed this for us better, I think, than St. Peter himself. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. They had seen the vision. They had seen the great glory of Jesus. But what Peter latches on to is the word which he had heard. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And further he says, St. Peter says, we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What Peter would have Christians of every generation turn themselves to is the revelation of Jesus' glory in the words of the Holy Scriptures. The words of the Holy Scriptures which express to us the very will of our Father in heaven which was manifested for us when his Son took upon our human flesh and lived, suffered, died, and rose for us. St. Peter would have you read these words. He would have you listen to them preached, and he would have you know that in this word of God which is spoken to you, there is confidence, there is life, there is forgiveness of sins, and there is true sight. Sight not according to our eyes, not according to the frail and passing things of this world, but the greater sight which comes by faith. Faith, the gift of God which is given to us and by which we are equipped to perceive the glory of God that is revealed to us and by which we are being transformed day by day and conformed to the image of the glory of his only begotten Son so that our faces, too, may shine with the light of Christ, invisible and hidden to the world as it may be, yet it is true and powerful in the sight of faith. For faith hears and believes, and so receives. It is not by sight that we know these things, but by faith which hears and believes. Faith which hears and believes that God truly can do what he has promised. Faith that hears and believes that he who created heaven and earth shall create a new heaven and new earth. Faith that believes that in the body of one man, God can put to death the entire body of sin and bring to life the whole lump of humanity. Faith to believe that God can use the ordinary in this world. Water and word 
bread and wine, and through these things bring about our salvation and the transformation of our lowly natures. Faith hears and believes, for faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, Christ who bids us to rise, Christ who bids us to be at peace, Christ who promises us that he shall be our friend and constant companion in the midst of whatever dreary and darkness this world would offer us. The word of Christ and his promises, these are the lamp in the dark place to which we do well to set our eyes, the eyes of faith which yearn for him and yearn for the word that brings with it his light and his forgiveness. This is Jesus' promise to us. This is his glory. This is his hope, which is given to us and which shall sustain us all the days of this dark life until at last the morning star shall rise in our heart and the Son of God descend from the heavens with a cry of command and with an acclamation of victory. Then on that day, what today we see by faith, we shall behold with our own eyes. We shall look at the unveiled glory of Christ and we shall not flinch. We shall not cringe with shame over our sins. But we will stand before him, our own eyes radiating the same glory, just as the moon radiates the light of the sun. And we will behold him face to face and praise him forevermore, forever free, forever righteous, forever holy. May that day come to us swiftly. And may the prophetic word of God uphold and support us as we await that day of the glorious revealing of the Son of God. May he sustain us in this life and the next. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.